Today's special guest, we have the one and only Mr. Glenn Underground. Glenn, what's going on, brother? What's happening? What up, though? How you been, man? Maintaining. All right, all right. Well, you know, I appreciate you doing this, man, and let's get into it. Let's go. Glenn, when and how did you get introduced to the culture of house music? That's a good question. I say uh, my family. My family, uh, family of musicians and my uncle and my cousin start. I want to say they started like 78, uh-huh. you know, playing the music. And my uncle that taught me, he like really primed me in it in the early 80s. Right. And then one of my cousins, he was big on CRX back in the day, smoking DJCC. Okay. And other family along with Fast Eddie, Tyree Cooper. Oh, wow. We keep it low key. Right, right, right. <laughs> okay, okay. So what was the music party scene like at the time? And then what records do you remember from that time period? The party scene. When did I start my full-on party? No lie, about 85, sneaking out. Okay, 1985, right? The party scene at that time was immense. It was new. Before that, all I had was, or anybody like me, all we had was the radio. And we thought that that was a say-all and end-all until you go to hear Ron Hardy or Lil Lewis or Frankie Knuckles live, right. and that was the game-changer. Okay, Changed and, and you, you've been to some of those parties, correct? You went, yes. You've been to the Music Box? Yes. Been to the? Have you been to the Warehouse? No, not, okay. the, not okay. the original Warehouse. All right, how about the Power Plant? No, okay, that's before good. my time. I was just trying to catch you up on that, man. Yeah. Yeah. Way before my time. <laughs> okay, so what DJs had the most influenced you at the time? My uncle, um, I would say Ron Hardy, so and Lil Lewis. Your, your uncle, name your uncle? At the time, he was going by Dave Doc MD. Okay. But his, his real name is David Collins. Right, okay. So you say him and, and Ron Hardy. And Lil Lewis. And Lil Lewis, okay. So I've heard you speak very passionately about Ron Hardy at the Music Box and Lil, you know, Lil Lewis at the hotel parties. Can you take us back there with each of those experiences and what were you, I say, what records really stood out to you when they played it? Well, the, Ron Hardy started with me from a cassette. My cousin and her and her girls, they used to be like the... Guest girls, they wore all the guest clothes, the guest outfits, and she brought a cassette home. Guest jeans back then, yeah. And she um, played it and was like, this Ron Hardy at the music box. And he played the It by um, Larry Heard, Robert Owens, and Harry Dennis. Harry Dennis, yeah. And I was like, I got to sneak out to hear this guy. Wow. And that's what happened. And that's what what it was. You know, that was like, it was like, for me yeah. that was like it took me away from the radio it made me hungry to start like you know searching deeper right and then the hotel parties that's something that everybody got spoiled to with like Lil lewis and the big hotel parties because you had a bad sound system right and you had women everywhere <laughs> i was spoiled to that <laughs> i became highly spoiled to that right 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 
And he was a good DJ, too. Great DJ. Ron Hardy was. Both, Lewis and, and Roddy. Okay. All right. So which came first for you, DJing or producing? DJing. I'm a DJ first. Okay. 1984, 84, 83-ish. 84, okay. I'll just say. And what was your, your, your um, I said, well, tell us about your transition into being a professional DJ. And what was your first paid gig? And then what were some of your signature records? Let me see. I remember talking on the phone to a guy named Quick Claude from the West Side. And Claude would have all of these hotel parties as well. And he came to me in 1987, which would be my first big signature party that I played in. Okay. He was like, at the time, I was Glenn Jam and Crockett. Don't laugh at that. Okay. And he was like, we got to come up with a better name. And we were on the phone. It was me, him, and these guys. They were they were known as the Fat Twins. Oh, wow. And he was like, what name should we use? And Twin was like, you're always talking about how deep your music is. is under the ground. You need a shovel to dig yourself out of it. Oh, and wow. Claude heard it and was like, that's it, Glenn Underground. Glenn, and that's where Glenn Underground was born. From Quick Claude, and I played at the Holiday Inn City Center downtown. Oh, wow. And oh, Claude wow. was known for the Da Vinci Manor parties on right. North Avenue right, and right, right. Central. Yeah. Oh, yeah. wow. So you're known for a prolific and, um, and very musical body of work. What was your musical background and influence? Well, my um, stepdad, he was... Like he was, he was a dope musician to me. He was, you know, doing his thing. Right. But his brother, my uncle, he was like very experimental and very instrumental in my in a role playing as me becoming a, a musician and a producer. And right. He taught me sound design. Okay. And the sound design, I think that everybody that gets into producing or trying to make music should really focus on sound design first. Okay. Because from there, you kind of get your vision on where to go musically. Right. And that was the greatest thing I learned from him. And he used to always tell me when I would go out to Detroit, you go out there, nephew, and do a tour. And tell them motherfuckers I created techno. I believed him. Because <laughs> oh, wow. he okay. was ahead of the game. Right, right, right. right. He was like Kraftwerk when he was living with us in the 70s. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. So so your musical background, did you go to school for music or did you just self-taught yourself? or Self-taught. Because like, I just learned just now that you also play guitar. I didn't know you play guitar. I dabble. Okay, you dabble. Okay. And I dabble in that because of... Um, Josh Milan, he don't know it, but I would see him dabble. So I'm okay. like, let me dabble around. Right, right, right. And, um, you know, um, that's basically about it. It just came natural. And I that's taught a myself that's and a I would emulate my favorite producer. I think he's the godfather house, no diss to nobody, but Larry Heard taught all of us how to make music. Okay, okay, okay. So- he's sophisticated. He brought personification to the game. Oh, yeah. He, oh, yeah. you know, he really was influential on the sound that the world does today. Wow. Okay. So let, let's stay there. So let's go to the controversial topic of where do you think the term house music came from? This is funny because I saw one of your interviews and one person had it right. As far as the sound, 
The sound didn't have anything to do, and this is not opinion. It had nothing to do with Frankie Knuckles' warehouse. But because of the vernacular of them calling it house music for short, the term definitely comes from the club, the warehouse. Okay. But it didn't come, per se, from the warehouse. It came from a south side joint on the flip side of Inglewood that my granddad used to own, and he had in his window on 79th and State Street. We play house music Now, what's here. the name of this place? I can't remember, but I okay, remember. Okay, so, so you say that that's your grandfather? Yeah, my father's father. Your father's John. father. But then you have uh, Leonard Remix Roy say he was working there, and he put a sign in there and says, we play house music. Look at my eyes. <laughs> so, so that's <laughs> false. That's false because he said it was in the heart of Inglewood and that lounge was on 78th and State Street, which is the flip side of Inglewood because Inglewood is one of the biggest neighborhoods on the south side. Okay. And it spanned all the way to 79th and the Dan Ryan. Okay. But the flip side, we know that that wasn't Inglewood. So you don't know the name of the, the club? No, I would have to ask my father. Okay, so we're we going to put down in the comments. You got to tell me later. Okay. We'll put it in there to figure out what's going on with that. Okay, so your career developed into international touring and global attention. What do you feel was your breakthrough record? Uh, my record that I produced, or my record that I just played. Well, no, the way the when you produce, so they can get you over to overseas to get you going, and wanted you as a DJ. You know what I had did something that I was playing around with in like nineteen eighty nine okay. cassette recordings. And um, Steve Poindexter was like, yo, I got um, this lady over in um, Amsterdam. And she got a little money for you. But, you know, you know how I went in the streets because you were there before me. Right, right, right. You know, I'm going to give you, you got to give me a little money for the hookup. Which I didn't mind because Steve was my boy. And Steve is a big player in Chicago's house music scene. And it was Saskia with DJX. And from there, I started making all of these recordings and I ended up getting a eight-track tape deck okay. doing all of these recordings. And I dropped the album on a label called Peace Frog. Okay. And it was just for fun, you know, nothing that I was trying to do and, you know, nothing that I was trying to get recognition for. Right. You know, because I make my music for me. Right. And if the people like it, well, be it. If they don't, ain't no sweat off my back. I'm not mad at them. Okay. So... It ended up being nominated for album of the year, and I was like, "Whoa, I got to take this shit serious now." Oh wow! And that's where at? And that was um, the label Peach Frog out of the UK. Okay, all right. And it was a song I did called um, "Detroitism." Okay. That was like real big because a lot of my like technical influences, like I said, started at Larry Heard. Right. Then along with you guys, because you guys, I think, at the time had a group or a studio group called The Posse. The Posse, yep, back in the 80s. Late and 80s. Derek May. Right. And that was real influential. So the song was called Detroitism. But Now, what year was this? That I made it on cassette in, like, 1990. 1990, okay. And that ended up blowing up real big for me when I wanted one of the other songs that blew up. And it's funny because I actually shot one of the songs with 
hula and fingers. Right. It was like, it's too heavy, G. <laughs> we can't do that right now. Right, right, right. And um, what was the name of the song? Atmosphere. Okay. The album was titled Atmosphere, and that I think that was a title song. Right. And... So that Detroitism just got you like when people was like, you know, let's bring him over here and see what he's about. Right. And the techno thing started to give way. Right. But my big play on the techno thing is that it's definitely Chicago-based music. Okay. But everybody know that the techno thing came by way of white people in the U.K. And the brothers in Detroit accepted it real talk because the money was behind it. But at the end of the day, like, I would do a play on it. All of my music had tech, T-E-C-K hyphen no. Like, okay. it's not tech no. Right, right, So right. it's really tech not. Right, 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 right. So. Okay. All right, so you've done a lot of music over your career, brother. How how many releases do you have to date, and which do you feel was most slept on? Oh, shit. Can I we be was, We were just speaking. I know yes. you got a vault, like, more can than I be? Can right I now. be honest? Absolutely. Now, I say this, and a lot of people will say, you know, he boasting or he's just talking, but do the math, go search it out. Out of any genre of music in this hemisphere, I put out more music than any artist in any genre of music. I got like a thousand, what is it, 1,500 works. That's known today. They started at 92. My first recording was on Trax Records. Okay. You was on Trax Records. And I pulled it. Okay. Because Larry was like, you know I'm going to fuck you and you're going to get $1,000 and this is all you're going to see. Right. So I ended up working there because Ron Hardy used to work at Trax. So what year was that? Ron was at Trax in, I think, 1989, Right, and came in after that. And Steve Poindexter ended up becoming the A&R oh, wow. for Tracks, okay. and he hired me, Roy Davis Jr., Brian Harden, Tony Poindexter. Right. There was a lot of us that worked there yeah. at the time, and that was a way I can. Steve really actually helped me get that record pulled from. Wow. Him. Okay. And so you you saying that you got the most releases in every genre out of anybody. I was disappointed in Prince, one of my, I hate the word idol because of what I know today, but for, you know, safety's sake and a word. So is, that, is that noted in history? Because, you know, we're going to go back and research that. And Nobody you know. noted it. So please okay. get it noted okay. or help me get it noted because out of these, some odd 1,500 or 30, Dion Hunter know it by heart. Out of 20 of those, Different works are albums with 10 and 12 songs on them. Okay. And these are all rele- uh, releases that have been released? Yes. Okay. So, so and, that's saying, start, and that's saying, starting at 92, not including right. the 1989. No, no, I get you. So you say you have the most releases. Out of anybody. Than any artist. Because hip-hop in music. any genre. Yeah, hip-hop music got a, a date on it as far as age. Okay. Any real B-boy or real hip-hop will tell you, yo, shelf life. It's vast right. because once you get older, you know, right. look at all the old real rappers. They all fell back. Okay. You got some that stand the test of time like LL, right. KRS-One. Right. You know, but every other cat, they come and go. So you know people going to, uh, 
you know, I want them. I, I want them to. If it's if it's bring out there, it. if it's, it's out there, but if it's not noted and you just saying it by hearsay, we're gonna be like, oh, Glenn, come on now. Okay, we're we gonna check that. out. I we, want y'all to we, bring. We're we, we gonna check that. Look out. at my face. Bring <laughs> it. All right. So Chicago house history has included a lot of shady business over the years. Do you feel like you escaped that? And if so, how? I actually just kind of briefly spoke. Well, on yeah, it. with the yes. tracks record, yes, Hell we yeah, did with that I one. Escaped it yep. because because like you know, as far as like my friends, like you know, or people that I knew coming up, you, Terry, Hula, you know, we right. all were close. Right. We ain't have to worry about that amongst each other, but dealing with like big time people, yeah, we actually kind of found our way through the nineties. Right. And it was kind of plentiful for a lot of us. Correct. I say even more for you guys. Like, I yeah. tell people all day, when I was DJing in the 80s and making music in the 80s, I told people, I want to dance. I had one of the biggest dance crews in Chicago. And, and what's the name of that? It was two crews, Ecstasy and okay. the Ambassadors. Okay. And... That's what I was on. And I was like, I will catch up in the 90s. So you was a dancer. Yeah, I was a dancer. <laughs> My chunky cheek ass was a dancer. Wow. So <laughs> but yeah, I, was I didn't know that, Glenn. But I was this big. Right, right. I didn't know you was a dancer back then. And um, it's funny because as far as like, you know, the music. Ask that question again. I'm getting lost. I'm no, no. Sorry. I, it was like, so... All right, let me go back. I, I edit this part out right here. Cool. Okay. Um, so the, it was Chicago House history has included a lot of shady business over the years. Yes. Do you feel like you escaped that? And if so, how? You know what? Um, how I escaped it, like dealing with certain people that we know. I won't say no names because. No, no. Yeah, every, every, let's, every, go, let's go ahead and say the names. Everybody you, is like. You, wanna, you, wanna, <laughs> you can't put it out there and be the gossip king and be like. Blah blah blah. If you if this your truth, you say your truth. Well, you know, I I had a couple of run-ins like um, Lou Lewis, but we okay. squashed that. Okay. And I think me, you know, shielding myself with my attitude. Right. You know me. Yep. And my forwardness, and you know my shit talking right. was like I got to beat it, but at the same time. It wasn't nothing to to like go jump off a mountain about it. It was like, okay, yeah. I can bounce back from this because at the end of the day, it was fun. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I look at, the fun. But now, shouldn't no artist nowhere complain because one thing that I give the late 90s crossing over into the 2000s right. was the fall of every record label Correct. to stop fucking people, right. which gave us which gave us the ammunition to start our own labels and run them. Yeah. And if something messed up, it was on the person that owned the label. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a great thing okay. to be able to run our own business. The only thing we got to deal with is the shadiness of, you know, Spotify and oh, companies yeah. like that. We got to yeah, deal, with that, gotta shade deal with that shade. Right. Exactly. Because the shit that they say is hot right. is not. And <laughs> it's like, yeah, we know how that goes, man. Yes. So, what has been the biggest highlight of your career? The biggest highlight of my career is being able to live in it. You know, I raised two kids. I got a 30-year-old daughter. Yes. 26-year-old son. With house music. With house music. Yes. On four properties. Yeah. 
I ain't worked a regular job since 1989. When I worked that regular job, that was Tracks Records. Hello. All right. You're good. So, so what has been your biggest challenge so far? My biggest challenge is, well, was like the Grammy thing. I remember when Frankie Knuckles um, first started introducing the house music. So my, I just remember him being real amplified, and I think it was, um, was it the Naris? Yeah, so, so so all that started because the reason why the category with all with the re, best remix and all the other stuff because is the who brought that to light is Steve Still Curly. So we have to get credit of that where it's due. Well so, I didn't know yeah, so yeah, thanks. So so Steve thank came you. that and that's how he got everybody involved with there to so we can have a category that people can come up and win in. Thank you, know, you so, Mr. Yeah. Hurley, for that. Yes, sir. But I do remember like Frankie introducing it to the Winter Music Conference, right, everybody. Right. But now that you go back and see it, yes, I can see Steve being yeah. like the forerunner. Yeah. And you know, my biggest like challenge is like trying to do and I could clear up kill two birds and one stone is okay. trying to get a Grammy for original house music now. Or original just because house music took a turn over the years. We're more okay. like jazz funk. Right. More like George Duke, Chick Corea. Right. We're actually doing complex, you know, compositions with yeah. this music now. So you, you want the, you want a Grammy for original music like a best dance record or best dance or album. best or best, you know, world record, however they want to categorize. So I think it. you can you can put yours since you strictly jazz unit, you can also submit yours probably to the jazz section. So it yes. be one of the best jazz records. Yeah, yes. which is the original composition. Or bringing jazz funk Absolutely. back, which Absolutely. was that George Duke, right. Chick Corea, Jeff Lober. We just got to get a lot of light to people. People got to join. I, I know it's, it's, it's a cliche where you got to vote to make a change, yes. but it's true. So, you know, we let's, let's try to get, if you want to get into something like that, you got to become a member to vote and to make a change. Man. I want to do that. Absolutely. We're going to sign you up this time, man. And the, be good. the next thing is because of house music. I want like everybody to know, including you, everybody. If it wasn't for house music, somebody asked me something in an interview, like I want to say a month ago, and they was like, "If it wasn't for house music, where would you be right now?" Right. And I meant every word of it. I said, "If it wasn't for house music." I'd probably be robbing all you motherfuckers right now. <laughs> no doubt. That's real talk, though. And the white That's people looked, and I said, no, I'm for real, motherfucker. Right. So house music, like, take you, Mr. Joshua. Did you expect to be where you are from just making tracks from back in the Absol day? Absolutely not. Growing up in a, a little suburb of Chicago, Harvey, Illinois, no. And no, seeing no. you and then moving on to, like, Mike, when right. Mike went and did the hip-hop thing, that was just, like, mind-blowing yeah. to me. And I support That's Mike Dunn you, you referring to. Yes, Mike Dunn. Yeah. To see Terry Hunter, it's all mind-blowing. Yeah. And that let me know we can get it. Absolutely. And to put an end to this fucking where house music come from, New York, y'all done had everything y'all wanted to dream. Let us have our shit. <laughs> and we can get something that hip-hop, jazz, blues, and R&B done got. And that's some type of prestigious award like the Grammys right. okay. for I mean, the music. Good. That's nice, Glenn. So what is Strictly Jazz Unit and where did it come from and how was it formed? 
Great question. Strictly jazz, you know, that a lot of people think, like, so you make all that jazz stuff. But if you listen to a lot of my music, it's not jazzy. The strictly jazz thing, you grew up in Chicago. Yeah. I think people that grew up in Harlem and Brooklyn get it. People that grew up in L.A., I think they get it. But remember when we were growing up and your mom bought you that one nice outfit? Yeah. And one of your uncles come over and say, that shit jazzy as hell. Right, 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 right. It's per se not a music. It's a way of life and a term to describe something. So it's like it has nothing to do with jazz music, though a lot of like my writings and compositions may end up being jazz, like the Afro Hente or the Fuego de Sangre joint that I did. And but at the end of the day, it's like a a cool street term. Yeah. Oh, that's good. See, people don't know that, brother. Like them glasses you rocking, they jazzy <laughs> as hell. <laughs> right. But you mentioned this earlier, but I, I'm just going to put it out there. Who was the bigger influence on you, Jamie Principal or Larry Hurd? Jamie was like David Bowie to me. Mm, that's nice. Jamie was the, you can do this. Yeah. Like, when you heard him using a Dr. Rhythm 110. Right. To do, like, Bad Boy and stuff like that. Right, right, right. I know that drum machine by heart because I used to cherish yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was like, okay, it was funny. Even Jesse, to see Jesse drop the jack, the um, the tracks on the flip side of right. On and On. But when I heard Mystery of Love, I'll never forget it. It was me. 51 now. Okay. So it was me. And a couple of people that I grew up with, some people that worked with Steve Hurley, they used to call themselves the Fendi Boys, I guess. They oh, used wow. To, okay. they, they used to be like his unofficial cheerleaders. Right, right, right. We all were crew growing up, and we sat back listening to Mystery of Love at Bryn Mawr, Okay. East Side, 73rd and Jeffrey. Right. In a big window. And we were like, what is this? This is amazing. Kids. Yeah. And then, I don't know how it went backwards or forward. Missed, I know the Can You Feel It ended up dropping in like 86. Right. Larry did it in 85, if I'm correct. Yeah, 85. And when I heard that, in my mind, I was like, this it? Yeah, yeah. This it. And the reason yeah. why that is the most influential house track and second to that is Move Your Body, Marshall Jefferson, because they are the most sampled house tracks in history. Yeah. You can go study that and look that up. Right, right, right. They still, somebody just did a Can You Feel It recently. Correct. The first to sample Marshall, Move Your Body, I think was Ty Terry on yep. Warlock. Yep. 1987, yeah. 88, somewhere up in yeah. there. Yeah, a lot of people sample that. So Underground is in your name. How do you think having a mainstream house music hit would change your brand if your name was Glenn Underground and then you had a a, a pop hit, say? Um, let me see how I can answer that. I think it would work because that's where everybody is. Everybody crave the underground. Not crave me. Right. But, like, when you use that term, even going back to slavery, it's something that makes you want to look into it. You know, like, that's underground. Right. Like, even when, like, if I had a commercial nightclub. Right. It would be 
this commercial nightclub where underground music is being played. Nice. And underground covers not just house music because think about it. We love underground hip hop just as we do oh, underground absolutely. house music. Absolutely. So do you think soulful house music will fade with our generation? I think the term will because a term is some whitewashed term, soulful house. Right. I think the only true form was the name that we gave it in the streets coming up, and you know this, Deep House. Right. right. If it wasn't Tracky, a Jackie, yeah. Deep House was. Right. All of that other stuff. Right. You know, not a racist, but it's a fact. It's yeah. white shit. Okay. Point blank. Okay. All right, so uh, some people have been asking me because they they know I, you was coming. I was coming to interview you, but they want to know what happened to you with Boo Williams because you guys were so tight with each other. Y'all was like everywhere y'all go, y'all was with each other. But uh, did anything happen between you and Boo Williams? Growth. Okay. And elaborate. That's my brother for life because, excuse me, mm-hmm. we on the same page spiritually. You okay. know. But growth and eventually I had to start seeing me like Boo was my brother. But like people to like him that came and went. Right. I was always that apex factor that helped everybody. Okay. And I'm not saying nothing against him, but it's a fact. I helped him, Big Lavender. One person who stuck with me until he died, I helped him, Paul. Right. Helped me and Paul personified sampling and chopping up samples all the way to the point that Hoolin Fingers put on uh, Mavrhythmics the week yep. that Paul Johnson. Yep. Me and Paul bought our first Akai sampler together, the Akai S01. Right. <laughs> you had to put the records on 45 yeah, 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 yeah. sample on. That's right. And that he's Paul stuck with me through thick and thin. Okay. And you know, as far as like what I'm saying is like me and Boo, we don't have no problems. But as far as working together, right. I'm not saying my level was higher than his or my level was higher than anybody else's. Right. I'm just on another level. Okay. Business, you know, business wise. Right. And. I think that um, he's doing this thing and he's comfortable where he's at and he loves what he's doing. So I support him and all the moves he make, but we were kids, you know. And when you cross, like, when you cross 50, reality kick in. Everything I do have to count. Shit hurt on me. Yeah. Knees, (laughs) back. Right. I ain't chasing coochie like I used to. I'm refined and... All I can see is life because we only got about a good 80 years. Yeah. You make it past that. Yeah. I don't consider it luck. I consider it more pain than hurting. Yeah, it's a blessing. We I say it's a blessing. It's brother. a it's a blessing right. and there's more pain yeah. at it. Yeah. Because this this get old. I yeah, don't care how true. black don't crack. But so it, here's it another hurt. question for you since you said that. If God came to you in a dream and said he was going to increase your career tenfold, but you had to choose DJing or producing. And you couldn't do the other one anymore at any time. Which one would you choose? That's a great question. I love it. And due to what's happening today, producing. Okay. Less people to deal with. Absolutely. Hey, that's it. I love that too, brother. I love that. <laughs> so, you're known for being our sporker, Glenn. Do you have any house beef you want to address or squash 
at this time? Um, the beef that you just asked about ain't no beef with Boo. That's okay. my brother. Okay. I love him. So they, there's got to be just, other beefs. I know you clean the underground, brother. So. We just here. The only <laughs> other beef I can say is hate towards me because I ain't never hated on nobody. I want to put this out here. Right. I know my worth. I know my talent. Right. If you can do it, I can mimic it. Right. And that's my specialty. Like, it's like one kung fu movie I watched where the guy was like, are you going to use a weapon? Right. And his opponent was like, anything I touch becomes a weapon. Yeah. That's how it is with me musically. And, you know, Vic Lavender. Okay. It's good. We chop it up. We see each other. We speak like grown-ups. So, so y'all had beefs then? Or, or it was some type of... Well, it was it was legitimate beef okay. that I had, but I'm like, we too old, and he definitely too old. Vic is older than me. Yeah, <laughs> Vic probably older than you. Right, right, right. And so you want to elaborate what happened so people know? You no, know, the whole the whole thing about you know, I had a problem at the time. You know, you say, hey, I play keyboards for Glenn. And I'm hearing it from all over the place. And right. so I was just like, man, you know, you can't be doing that, you know. Right. I think you should do your own thing and, you okay. know, move on. And, right. You know, I've always been strictly jazz unit. Everybody else, I was there trying to really teach the business that I didn't know so well. Yeah. Like, if it wasn't for me, those brothers wouldn't know about publishing. Oh, wow. Or none of that type of stuff. Okay. And big thanks to Lou Lewis and conversations with Larry Heard, I learned about publishing. Right, right, right. So as far as, like, the beef with me and Vic, we grown, it's cool, you know. I love the brother. Okay. I ain't gonna, I'm not going to never say I hate him because right, right, right. that was my right-hand man at yeah. one point, you know, all the way back in the 80s. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, we good. Okay, You know, good. we see each other, we, we, we kick it out. Now, as far as like, hey, let's go hang out and eat. Right. I don't know if that's going to happen. But if right. we out, in, if we out and about, right. um, we gonna laugh and they go to the other side. I, I like, I like to see black men. We we come together like that, man. Hey, Glenn, I appreciate you, brother. Uh, this is everything house music and more. Make sure you click the button, subscribe, and hit the notification. And um, once again, man, thank you for doing this, man. I love you, brother. And man, um, looking for too, more bro. music for you in twenty twenty three, brother. And we're going to do this. And uh, thank you again, brother. Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. And this is a dope brother, y'all. He's oh, been dope for it, years. Man. Thank you, brother. He talked more shit to Jesse Jackson, <laughs> but I love him. That's my dude here. Glenn and again, he, don't, and he don't mean no harm. Exactly. It's a pleasure, brother. Most definitely. Peace.